I'm ready. I'm ready, Aaron. You're ready to bring the, the magic, the wit, and the wonder. Wait, wait, wait. Who's on this show? <laughs> I was wondering the same. Like, I'm not sure where any of that comes in. <laughs> we'll we'll blast right. it in post. This is Wayne. And I am Andrew. So there has been a significant change at my house. Uh-oh. And, Uh-oh. you know, my, my dog Walter, he is a, he's an older fella. Oh, not Walter. He is, uh, he's he's pushing uh, uh, 17 years old. Wow. And, and has some uh, some hip issues. And, you know, he's been, you know, taking the Remedil and the Gabapentin. And uh, a week or so ago, the veterinarian suggested, I think you should try CBD oil. Uh-oh. And I, sa- I said, oh. Okay, and she's like, you know, she kind of, you know, tells me how much to give and yada yada, and uh, so he gets it in an edible. <laughs> <laughs> well, he is a dog, and you know, Walter, ha- you know, for years now, will go outside, do his business, come to the back door, and bark at me to let him in, you know, and it's very much like, hey, badass, let me in. <laughs> Now, you know, his, his whole mode has, has he's become super mellow. Right. Well, yeah. And he's like he's like instead of, you know, dad, it's dude. <laughs> so and instead of door, like uh, instead of a harsh, yappy bark. Now he's just like, woof, woof, woof. well, at the door, it sounds very much to me like open the door, man. Come <laughs> on, man. Be cool. Open the door. <laughs> It's, now, how, uh, how much weight has he gained? Uh, none yet, but you know the, the munchies are. Is it? Is it? Is he like wanting more food, more treats? Well, and and I feel like you know you know what would be good, <laughs> chili. <with watermelon. laughs> yeah, he's uh, uh, he's a little pothead now. So anyway, is it but it, it is helping. I mean, that's okay. that's the the remarkable thing is he's getting around better and he's resting, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, previously he was just restless because he couldn't get comfortable. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, he's doing great. He's doing great. Uh, the the vet's like, I wish my heart sounded as good as your as, as Walter's. <laughs> <laughs> I'm worried because, about your vet's well, health now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you may want to start shopping around. Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, so, so have I, you I, dipped into the CBD oil, Aaron? I have not. I have not. Well, this not, is but... formulated for canines. I don't recommend. Uh, uh, Whatever. You know. Oh, no, <laughs> Whatever. It's true. You know nothing. <laughs> it's all. <obvious. laughs> yeah. It's like so I wouldn't take like ibuprofen for dogs either. I would. I would use ibuprofen for humans, not the. Uh, oh, I not forget. That uh, yeah, the, our dog was on it for a little while after she got hurt. Um, but yeah, I'd stick with the human formulated ones. Ah. Ah. Yeah. Bah. Yeah. Hey. Uh, yeah. I'm glad none of us have babies. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I have a CBD uh, like little roll-on stick for my knee, Aaron. I recommend and, it. 
Yeah, the roll-on's supposed to be really good. My mom uses it for her arthritis. You know, I don't know if it's actually good or not, or if it's just uh, psychosomatic. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, my knee still hurts. But, you know, I, <laughs> but, I it, but it smells like menthol now. So I said that a lot of, <laughs> I don't know if the with the amount of it actually does any good or if it just helps because people think it helps. But all that matters to me is my family members that use it are in less pain. So for me, I don't care if it's actually working or if it's a placebo as long as the effect is there. Yeah, absolutely. But placebo effects a real thing. And if it works and gives someone, gives someone relief, uh, why not use that uh, effect? Welcome to, Old guy talk. <laughs> Aaron and Polly, Wayne and Andrew. Hey, so See, when you get up at the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. Um, oh, so many times. <laughs> so many times. <laughs> All right. Um, so we uh, we have not recorded in a few weeks. I've been out of town. Uh, and uh, there actually, there there is a, a special recording that you guys did while I was out of town that will be released in the near future. Yeah, yeah. I don't right. know if being secretive about it. You told everyone in the last recording, so that's right. We recorded an episode uh, play testing the Marvel Multiverse RPG as a game mastered by one Mr. Wayne Cole, and uh, that will be hitting your podcast feed in the next week or so. Yep. With special uh, return guest, our yeah. favorite Timmy. Yeah, Timmy. And. Timmy. and, and I want to take a moment to apologize to Mr. Tony Mast, who uh, volunteered to be our substitute Paul last week. Oh, yeah. Um, but sadly, we had to cancel that episode because I was unable to keep my insides inside. Because you're uh, allergic to Tony Mast? <laughs> wait, 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 wait. We, need, we need a replacement Paul. How do we end up with a replacement Tony? Well, because, you know, his full given name is Paul Anthony Mast. Uh, so he is, uh, while an artificial Paul, a Paul nonetheless. Very good. Good Frankly, to know. I feel like Tony came first in the chronology of Pauls. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I mean, original look, Paul look, really came first, I think. Yeah, look fair. At, yeah. Look at, look at Paulie saying, well, I'm younger than Tony. <laughs> I'll put it out there. I just, I just want to just say younger than me. <laughs> I have more gray hair, but I also have more hair. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. I just, wow. Shots fired. I love him. In, internet flame war anymore. coming. <laughs> In three, two, one. Well, while uh, you guys were playtesting Multiverse of Madness, or uh, pardon? Multiverse, sorry, Marvel Multiverse, I was watching Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Not actively, like that, not the same day. But uh, <laughs> sometime within the last three weeks, I saw uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. I did not see it on release day. Um, well, it, was, it was killing I, me. Not I to. saw it opening weekend in an actual movie theater. That was my first uh, movie theater experience since pandemic. And I have a question. Did you oh, get popcorn? Ahead. Yeah, let's hear it first. Did you get nachos? Did you get a hot uh, dog? I got, I got popcorn and a soda. Ah. I have a question for for Paul because there was oh. this whole talk about you being in Nashville and how you would have time to go see it. So how did you end up seeing it? Uh, I waited till I got home because I, I was in Nashville. Um, so you didn't go then, out at midnight and all by yourself no, in a trench I'm coat. Too old for that stuff. I mean, I was in, I was I was I was asleep by like ten o'clock in a trench coat. <laughs> well, yeah. Trench coat. So <laughs> like that, that's a little creepy. Yeah. So I I have a theater near me that uh, I don't know how it's staying in business. Because every time there's a uh, show, it's like two or three people in the theater. And I will choose that theater every single time. I don't care that it's not as comfortable seats as the popular theaters. 
I choose not having people every single time. I got to tell you, the uh, new theater opened up down the street from me about two miles away. <clears throat> it's one of those, uh, you know, dine in theaters with the re- with the nice leather recliner, etc. Uh, that's where I saw it. It was super comfortable, uh, mostly a full house. I saw it the first the first showing that Saturday. And the only thing that I found a little alarming about the theater experience itself was the number of very small children and what I felt like was kind of a uh, a uh, horrific Marvel style movie. Yeah, um, I just I, I thought it there was Marvel's some, horror movie. Yeah, and I I mean I really felt like you know Sam Raimi directing, but you know I really felt like there were some there were some images and moments in the film that are probably nightmare worthy for uh, the younger kids. And I, I, I found that a little surprising that the, the there were so many children, uh, uh, you know, like south of 10 in the theater. There's been a lot of talk about that online, yeah. actually, you know, how, you know, people questioning if if the rating was appropriate. I, I don't feel like there was anything in this film that even bordered on an R rating, but it certainly had some scary scenes. Was it but a PG-13? It was. So, yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so it's literally uh, on the parents for bringing their sub ten kids to the to the movie. But I saw it the second weekend it was out. My wife and I went to our local, one of our two local theaters. Regrettably, we do not have a nice, uh, you know, sit-in dinner, fancy right. recliner uh, theater here in town. But uh, let's see it the second weekend. She was a little worried. She said, "I'd heard it's it's confusing." And my reply was, "Well, you saw WandaVision. You saw What If. I think you'll be fine." Mm-hmm. Well, and What If really didn't, other than like honestly, I I feel like Wanda. Well, we'll get there. But um, I saw it this past Tuesday, I think, um, at a local like they're called Cinema Cafe around here. It's one of those recliners, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. And weekday tickets are generally cheaper than weekend what? tickets or early mm-hmm. showing tickets are generally cheaper. So what I do is I buy an extra seat. So- <laughs> So no one sits next to me. <laughs> wow. And, and I get an extra table to store my, to put my popcorn on. So I don't have. <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah. Wow. I, I'm that guy. Wow. Yeah. Paul's the 1%. You say, wow, do it. And it will change your life. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it will. <laughs> You're it like, sounds amazing. Oh, wow. This is amazing. I could put my beer on this table and my soda on the other table. I don't have to crowd all onto one little like. Like I'm in high school, little desk thing <laughs> in front of me. I, I picked the theater with no crowds, so I'll put my soda on like one, two over and raise <laughs> raise up the middle things to have plenty of room to stretch out. And I usually just bring my butler and have him stand in the aisle and hold my stuff, but. <laughs> I yeah. got Alfred's. Aaron just right. buys out the theater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I saw it on uh, matinee on the Sunday for the week it came out and my wife wasn't feeling up to going out that day. And so later on in the week, I took her out to see it again. So I've seen it oh. twice. So, you know, from a, um, what do you call those? Uh, like something you have to watch before you watch this. Uh, prerequisite. Prerequisite. As far as prerequisites, Andrew, to your point, I do feel like WandaVision is required viewing. Definitely. Though yeah. I will admit, I feel like the journey that Wanda took in WandaVision is kind of disregarded in her character in this movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like she ended that show with some form of 
of emotional resolution more yeah. than we see presented. Here. I feel like she ended that show floating there looking through the dark home. Yeah. Completely yeah, foreshadowing all this. Yeah, yeah, I think it's the dark old element. If it weren't for the what as we as as Marvel fans know is the mind altering effects of the dark hold on someone. If it weren't for that, I would agree with you, Paul. But the the dark hold definitely kind of warped and twisted her in between the show and, and movie. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And they clearly showed that was happening in yeah. the post credit scene of WandaVision. Yeah. yeah. So WandaVision, I, what if I mean, I'd say what if is a nice to have seen, but certainly not um, a requirement in the same way that WandaVision is like, no, I don't know how the hell you get anything out of Doctor Strange without having watched WandaVision. And this is really the first time there's been an MCU movie that really requires you have to have watched a one of the television shows. Yeah. Especially and, as it relates to um the interaction she has with the kids in the house and all that stuff. Like that all is very closely tied to WandaVision. So yeah. Spoilers. And, we're gonna spoil the hell out of this movie oh, yes. while we talk. It's been out three weeks. If you haven't seen it by now, um then uh you know, sorry, just skip ahead like fifteen minutes. And I, and I think, you know, what if is, is good, especially for people who aren't maybe familiar with the whole idea of multiverse and, and what if and, and the traveling. It, and it's not as important as WandaVision. You're correct. But but I think for those who lack that kind of knowledge, like my wife, it, it was helpful to have some idea of how that all works. So did your wife find it confusing ultimately? She did not. She had some questions about some of the characters that we haven't seen before uh, in in the MCU movies or or the Disney Plus shows, but no, she was not confused by it. Uh, like having seen WandaVision, she was pretty pretty on point for the story. So you know, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Long story short, is about Wanda. She is searching the multiverse um, for America Chavez, who has the yep. ability to to jump between universes. I don't want to say at will, but that's technically her power. She can't Is control that it right power now. In the comics, I've never. I don't. Yes. Think I've ever, yes. Ever read an America's uh, comic book? Yeah, yeah, they have a, a really good miniseries recently, but no, they thought they did a really good job with her. That is exactly her power, creating that okay. star portal between them. Mm-hmm. But also, she has like strength and other she can powers fly. with it. Yeah. yeah. She's tough, super tough, super strength. She can fly and she can make those portals and not just in in the comic books. It's not only to travel through like multiverse, but at least especially in America, West Coast Avengers run America mainly used them to to basically teleport, you know, out to space around the planet, those types of things. Yeah, gotcha. So, you know, she's searching this multiverse to to not just partner with to not partner with America, but to actually take America's powers so that she can travel the different multiverses um, to be with her kids again. And, uh, you know, and she is willing to to kill anyone along the way. She's so, very ruthless. She yes. is. Uh, yeah. She's not messing around. So yeah. let me ask a question. Um, yes, and I felt like going into it, I knew that Wanda was going to be the adversary. But I gather that other people didn't understand that and that that was a surprise to them that Wanda was the bad guy. So yeah. I think they huh. did a really good job of editing the trailer. For people that don't necessarily know the comics and some of that, the trailers did a wonderful job of making you think that he was picking up Wanda for help right. and that she was going to help him. And that, yeah, there would be an evil version out there, but there was going to be an evil Doctor Strange, an evil version of Wanda they had to deal with. I think that that's where people's confusion came in is they came in with the trailer expectation that Wanda is going to be to work with him. You know, I I, I feel like one of the the challenges that I have, you know, experiencing the Marvel Cinematic Universe is trying to disconnect what I know about the comic books 
uh, versus what we've experienced in the MCU. So, you know, it was not I mean, I just took it for granted that Wanda was going to be the big bad in this movie. And, and certainly she was. Uh, but I, 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 I was I was astonished, I guess, to say that uh, that everyone's like, oh, who knew she was going to be a bad guy? Like, oh, y'all, I, I'm applying, you know, 40 years of comic book knowledge to uh, <laughs> to my experience in, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I wasn't I, sure if she was going to be if the main one was going to be the bad guy or an alternate. But what I didn't expect was how quickly they revealed. I yeah. thought if they revealed that it was going to be halfway I, or even later into the movie. I'm glad they did, because let me tell you, when Elizabeth Olsen first debuted in The Avengers, I was not at all into it. Um, I didn't care for her performance. I thought she just really brought nothing to the role. I didn't care for anything that they were doing with her character. But I got to tell you, she acts her ass off in this movie. She I mean, is phenomenal. I mean, you, it really should have been <laughs> Wanda and the Multiverse of Madness. I mean, Star she Witch, is yeah. the yeah, she is the scar, the scar, the star of this film, in my yeah. opinion. I mean, she she outperforms uh, Benedict Cumberbatch at every turn, and I'm not and I'm not slamming you know the, the Cumberbatch. I'm just saying that she dominates that film. Yeah. She she's seamlessly. Yeah, she seamlessly well, goes from personality to personality. And she is chewing up the scenery like she's Al Pacino. I mean, she yeah. is just ruthless in her I'm, performance. Getting that WandaVision show uh, let her bloom as an wow. actress. And, and maybe she always had those skills and we just didn't see them in the Avengers movies because she was overshadowed and her part was too small. But yeah, uh, you yeah, know, ever since when WandaVision hit, I've been super impressed with her. I got to say, you know, there there is a whole school of thought that that there are no movie stars anymore, you know. Uh, that, you know, there are certainly celebrities, but there are not movie stars. And I got to tell you, I think Elizabeth Olsen is one. I think Elizabeth Olsen, uh, I, I think this is going to see her branch out into a bunch of other types of film. I bet she opens a movie. I mean, I, I really do think that she's got it. I think she's got a good sense of comic timing. She is, she is endearing and sincere on the screen. And she can play downright nasty better yeah. than anybody. I mean, I just I, I am just fully taken with her performance in this film. Yeah, the other performance that impressed me. I'm generally not a fan of most uh, children stars, uh -huh. but the uh, the actress they had playing America Chavez, I thought, did a really good job. Yeah, I'd agree. I don't know who she yeah. was. Uh, she honestly, didn't before this. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, always the preference when when the actors yeah. when one of the main characters doesn't annoy you. Well, you know, that's that's, you know, that's always a challenge with uh, hiring young actors. Um, and, and I thought I thought she she was genuine. I, I thought Sam Raimi brought out really strong performances in his actors in this film. Uh, I, 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 I very much enjoyed it. And I just I felt like everyone was doing their job. Uh, yeah. I do have a complaint about. Uh, a recurring special effect in the film, and that is uh, the rooftop scene. You know that at one point's a garden, at one point, you know, other it, it, the the setting shifts on that rooftop, mm -hmm. and it was just so blatantly green screened. And yeah, the green screen look, was not great in this film. Oh, it was awful. It was awful. I, I was just like, come on, guys. I mean, you know, you're spending all the money over here. Can you throw a little bit over there? Yeah, I had uh, I had a few minor plot complaints too of 
I wanted to know why the world that they dropped into was overgrown with plants. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to know what is the history of that world that led to that. And we got a few things about the history, about their Doctor Strange and all, but we never got why is this world overgrown with plants? Yeah, you know, I <clears throat> I assumed it was I, to help deal with uh, greenhouse gases to avoid global warming or climate change, if, if you will. That was my take, because they definitely seem to be a little bit more advanced in technology and a little bit farther ahead on. on I assumed. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I assumed some sort of Kotati invasion. Mm. Clearly. Because green means stop. <laughs> good point what, what did we think about uh, i mean i enjoyed it what do you guys think about john krasinski's portrayal of uh mr fantastic i loved it yeah, I loved yeah. It. that was welcome I, yeah. I i enjoyed that he's yeah, honestly I, a little bit buff for reed richards but i liked it i think for the illuminati my my take on all of them most of them acted like idiots uh i thought he was great i did not care for uh captain carter which was disappointing uh, i like i did yeah, not I, I, I thought her performance was really flat. I absolutely agree, Wayne. I did not care for their Captain Marvel, the Monica Rambeau version. Uh I love Monica Rambeau, and I liked the actress in WandaVision, but not there. Yeah. Uh, I I thought Patrick Stewart nailed it. Xavier was intelligent. He was the one that actually stood a chance dealing with Wanda, and just the nostalgia when they played the the 90s X-Men cartoons music as mm-hmm. he rolls in yeah you know i think they weren't given much to work with um and i you know for me my main issues with i i had a number of issues with the film i felt the film was inconsistent and you're um, inconsistent well that <laughs> is also true uh but yeah the illuminati you know i for for what it's worth i didn't feel like they had really much to work with they sat in chairs and said no and then they yeah. died and it i'm seemed like, like a okay. COVID shoot yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and I think part of that does lend itself to the fact that none of them, well, I don't, I, I shouldn't say none of them, but most of them were not filmed in the together. room. Yeah, they right. were in the room. Yeah. Um, so it was all very stiff, you know, whether it was Haley Atwell, you know, Black Bolt, Black Bolt, which, I mean, there's not much there for Black Bolt anyway, but even, even John Krasinski, I felt like John Krasinski was acting in a room alone, not interacting with anyone and i like john krasinski i'm a big fan of his and i I think he i am one of the people you know all for him being cast as reed richards in the fantastic four movie um but i I do feel like the illuminati themselves were just a little little stiff and uh, yeah Yeah. maybe that was the intent that they're you know this uh, this in this universe they're a little holier than thou but it you know it, it for me it didn't work as well as I was hoping. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the idea of alternate universes are a way to just slaughter the characters that you you're too afraid to do in the main universe. But I have to say, Black Bolt's death was a highlight of the movie for me. It was good. Yeah, yeah. that one was well done. Yeah, you know, um, so you know, like I said, for me, the film was inconsistent. I felt like it. It's it's a Sam Raimi film. For better or worse. Yeah. Right. And, and I used to be a big Sam Raimi fan, but like the pacing is very much like Army of Darkness. Right. right? Like, let's just very shoot much. out of the gate going uh-huh. fast, fast, fast. And then let's slow down to a crawl and then let's blow it back up for the end. Um, I, you know, I felt like the title Multiverse of Madness as excited as as excited as I was for that. We really spent our entire time in two universes, you know, for the most part. Um, yeah. Not you know, the rest of them were basically just flashes in the background. And I'm like, oh, it's the Savage Land. Oh, it's gone. Um, you know, but but things like that. I I felt like there was more potential to the film than they took advantage of. But, I mean, overall, I liked it. I, I You know, I have my complaints are more like 
are, are more around the pacing um, and and just kind of the inconsistency in acting. Like I said, some some actors were very flat. Some of them were good. And honestly, some of the action scenes were were fantastic. Very Sam Raimi-ish. You know, when Wanda's, you know, tracking them down after she's murdered the Illuminati, tracking them down the hallway. I'm like, that's great. And then 10 minutes later, Doctor Strange is like firing music notes at the evil Doctor Strange. I'm like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> you know, I've seen so many people talk about how much they like that fight. I hated God, that fight. I'm just like, I mean, at that point of the film, I, I almost looked over to Jen because I'm like, Jen's going to be mad at me for making her watch this stuff. <laughs> like, I, like I, I, even I was like, this is stupid. It, it felt, especially compared to the rest of the film, that scene, like, biggest issue of the film was that scene for me. My, uh, I had an objection, one objection to the film, and I just think it was a missed opportunity, you know, when we're seeing Wanda, ex, you know, experiencing her kids in another reality. I really wish we'd gotten a Paul Bettany. You know, yeah, kind of, yeah, that was an interesting exclusion. Yeah. She's yeah. so obsessed with her kid, but doesn't think about trying to find a universe where she has her kid and her husband. Right. Yeah. Well, I think I think the resolution she reached at the end of WandaVision, she let go of Vision. Uh, I don't th- what she didn't let go of was was her kids. Yeah. yeah. And that could be um, that could be COVID related because apparently there were um, a number of additional uh, actors. I think Daniel Craig was supposed to be part of the film at one point. I don't remember what character he was playing. Um, Boar. I think he was playing Boar. Um, and he he decided that the the because of COVID, it wasn't, you know, he, he, he turned down the, the travel for the role. So, I mean, I, I think part of that, yeah, Paul Bettany is also in England. It could be just the nature of when the film was was you know films that they because there were a, a significant amount of reshoots um primarily due to the cameos and yeah. i think that's part of it that they just they fit in who they could fit in and that's why they weren't necessarily filmed together and why quite frankly some of the green screen was a bit shoddy uh because it was you know done you know in a green room basically and and not on an iphone special. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. his, his loss was definitely felt though that he yeah. wasn't there stood yeah. out yeah, especially especially the WandaVision being so prevalent to this film. Yeah, I and did so enjoy I, the movie though. I did I, too. I, I I thought on the on the whole, I thought I gave it a solid B. You yeah. know, yeah, it didn't fair. it didn't rock my world, but I was very entertained. And I got to tell you, it was a good movie to go back to theaters for. Yeah. You know, it was it was a good popcorn movie, and I and I can say that because I ate the entire large bag of popcorn. Yeah. Glad you didn't <laughs> go back for Eternals instead. Oh man! You know I Fucking still haven't Eternals. seen Eternals. It is so bad. I'm almost ashamed <laughs> to admit that. Like, like I, I just I've skipped it, and every time I think about it, I'm like, ah. Uh, it is so bad. I mean, it yeah. depends, Paul. Is it more embarrassing to not have seen it, or is it more embarrassing to have seen it and and like Aaron have the wrong opinion about it? <laughs> <laughs> I, for me, I think um I will watch it when I have to. And I don't mean like someone's going to force me to. I just mean like it'll come into play when they're like, oh, you know, this character will return in this upcoming Marvel movie. Then I'll be like, OK, now I'll watch the Eternals. Men yeah, are no. going to break into your house yeah, that's and hold you hostage with a gun to your head. You, Mr. Ponte, you're going to have to fucking watch the Eternals. Either Eternals is going to be on your TV screen or your brains are going to be on your TV <laughs> screen. <laughs> I think Marvel's going to just forget about it. I don't think so. I don't think so. Well, I think they'll. I think they're going to pull characters into other films. Yes. I think right. that we won't see an Eternals 2. No. I think what we're going to see is those characters coming over into other films. Yeah. And I'm absolutely fine with I just feel like the, uh, the film was 
poorly written, poorly directed, and poorly acted. There's <laughs> only poorly a, written. So there's only a couple that. characters I would even want to see again out of that. Well, there's a certain gentleman named Dane that I'm excited to see again. Well, I you know I I did enjoy Doctor Strange. I will not be watching it again in cinemas, but when it pops up on uh, Disney Plus, I'll, I'll I'll certainly rewatch it. And you know, just like every other Marvel movie, I'm sure I'll own it on Blu-ray. Yeah. So while we were away, uh, one of my favorite artists mm. uh, uh, passed away. And, it, you know, while we knew it was coming, we, we knew that George uh, George Perez was ill uh, and that he had ceased his treatment so that he could be uh, more fully with his family. Uh, uh, he passed away a couple of weeks back. And I got to tell you. Uh, this is one of the guys who really got me into reading comic books. Um, when I was a boy, the very first one of the very first Marvel comics that I read was an issue of Fantastic Four that he drew. And it was like issue 176, 177. It had uh, it was such a, a mind blowing book. Uh, it had the Fantastic Four. Right. And it had the counter Earth Reed Richards in it, you know, who is all a.k.a. the brute. And the negative zone is involved, and you've got all of this just exquisitely detailed George Perez artwork that was unlike anything anybody else was doing at the time. Uh, It was was so captivating, and I just remember I read the cover off of that book. I read it so many times. I thought I was going to be the only one that his Fantastic Four was my introduction to him. But for me, when I first got into comics, I was – going to the laundromat with my mom and right next door was a video store. And in the corner was a comic store built into the video store that Mm -hmm. was called corner cards and comics. And I was a poor little kid, but I could gather quarters and I could buy things from the quarter bin. And those fantastic four runs in the one seventies from the seventies and eighties. Yeah. Those were the books I was stocking up on. I bought so many fantastic four in that era and that was my introduction to him as well, was those Fantastic Four books. And those books just captured me into comics. Yeah. Roy Thomas wrote those issues, uh, you know, that I'm talking about. But, you know, adjacent to our MCU conversation, there's a huge, you know, Agatha Harkness storyline uh, that occurs right there after that. The, the, yeah. the, the, those the 170s where they they go to New Salem and fight the witches. And uh, it is just it, it, his his artwork was so eye popping and dynamic and looked like people. I mean, you could identify. I mean, so, so many times the comics that I had read before that, you'd have trouble telling the difference between some of the characters and it, when they were out of costume. But yeah. the because Agatha w- was Franklin's uh, nanny during that time. Right. Right. Yeah. And one of the things that caught me right off right off the bat in his artwork was how finely detailed his rendering of Ben Grimm's thing. <laughs> his thing no the, 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 the thing was uh, you know so many artists up to that point shorthanded you know when it wasn't jack kirby drawn a lot of times they'd kind of shorthand all the different rocks and whatnot yeah but he'd he, look lumpy yeah and george perez's the thing it, each rock i mean casts its own shadow 
I mean, it's it's ama- it was amazing to look at, you know, and as a kid trying to draw to my like, this must take him forever. <laughs> you know, it was it was crazy. And when you think about the explosion of new artists at that time, you know, as as the old guard was kind of moving off the books and you had this new new uh, new talent. The other guy doing similar work was John Byrne over in the pages of Avengers that I discovered around the same time. And those two artists, John Byrne and more importantly, George Perez, were the guys that taught me to look for the artist drawing the book. Because that would tell me. So when I think about the biggest comic stories of my uh, do we just hit the one hour mark? <laughs> we must have. I think we must have hit the yeah. one hour mark. Well, real quick then, uh, I'll go ahead and say, you know, for 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 me, I've mentioned it before. One of my earliest comic books was this little pocket size compilation of uh, of Teen Titans, uh, which was my first kind of mm-hmm. introduction to to his work. Was his run there? Um, and yeah, it was it was gorgeous. He's uh, amazing art, uh, not just then, but over the years. Um, and, you know, it's very sad uh, that, you know, like you said, we knew it was coming, but it's still sad to lose uh, someone of that kind of stature uh, from my, the community. My favorite of his Teen Titans characters that he created mm-hmm. uh, in those books was Gizmo. Gizmo. Uh, guy Gizmo. loved, loved yeah. fucking Gizmo. <laughs> <laughs> when I think about the biggest comic stories that had an impact on me, you know, growing up, he's he was on all of them. Crisis on Infinite Earths. Mm-hmm. New Teen Titans, Judas Contract, Incredible Hulk, Future Imperfect, Batman, A Death in the Family, uh, Infinity Gauntlet. Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah, for me, that was it. Yeah, the Infinity Gauntlet, um, you know, the, the the Future Imperfect. You know, he hit, you know, a, a time in my life where I was so hardcore into into comics. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, events like Infinity Gauntlet. And, you know, I'm, I'm actually re- I'm looking at his Wikipedia page right now. Um you know, and remembering that he was doing Infinity Gauntlet and War of the Gods for DC at the same time. And, you know, because of that, he was not able to finish Infinity Gauntlet, which left um, Ron Lim to take over art responsibilities for the final two issues, which, you know, in my mind, I, you know, Ron Lim is also one of my favorite artists. So right. um, and, and then it mentions, you know, right after that came Ultraverse, the Ultraverse imprint. Yeah. yeah. Which I also loved at the time yeah. um you know Same, he, he yeah. drew ultra force you know with prime and rune yeah. and all those great characters i mean there was he, he, he george perez was a, a lot of i mean you can't tell a teen titan story without the influence or, or, or even a dc event book now everything has the influence of of george perez and marv wolfman and I don't know if you guys have read uh, Nightwing this week, but there's a, a nice little homage to both of them mm-hmm. in yeah. this week's uh, Nightwing. And I thought that was really great because we've, you know, we've lost both of those creators recently. And, uh, you know, given their influence on DC Comics, there we wouldn't have the DC Comics universe we have if it wasn't no. for, for these these guys. Well, and, and, you know, we remember George Perez as an artist, but, you know, he's also a writer and he he wrote one of the. One of my favorite Superman runs, uh, which was action comics where Superman goes off into space and we see the world world story and, you know, it's Superman, the gladiator. He didn't draw most of those books, but he wrote them. And, you know, I, I always thought that his uh, writing on Wonder Woman was not to my liking, 
but I loved his writing on action comics. Yeah. I loved I loved his uh, he did the art on that great Ultra Force Avengers. I'd forgotten about yeah. that. Yeah. Paul brought yeah. up Ultra yeah. Force, but uh yeah, that was a great comic that uh, yeah. RIP Malibu Comics. All right. You know what right. sucks is Marvel has the rights to all of that, right? So and they, they do nothing, nothing. with it. They do yeah. nothing with There it. is there are fantastic properties and they get, do not a goddamn thing. Yeah. They they bought their color technology and just dumped all the IP. Yeah. Yep. Infinite infinite reboots of morbius yeah. but i can't get a damn rune book <laughs> right right <laughs> With that, and you can't get you can't get a back issue digital copy of it no i would like, love I some mean, of those old back issues yeah, i would buy yeah. them up how yeah. cool would, would it be Barry to have windsor a windsor smith art on rune oh, yeah <laughs> how cool would it be to have a ghoul book yeah right yeah. Just, I I loved just yeah. just Marvel put the old back issues on Marvel the app I will buy them. Yeah, you don't even need to like recolor them or anything. Just literally throw the original, you know, just throw some some stuff on there. I mean, between Rune, um, Prime, Lord Pumpkin. Oh, God, I used to love Lord Pumpkin. Yeah. <laughs> like, why doesn't that surprise me, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> Halloween. That's right. So, well, Nightmare for for. for I, I had the joy of meeting George Perez briefly many years ago at a Wizard World, Texas. Uh, we were all lined up, line running around the building to get inside. And he saw the crowd and came out and just walked down the line, talking to people, signing autographs, posing for pictures. And, you know, it was back in a day where I never where I would not have asked someone to take a picture with. But I talked to him and he signed my program. And he was just the nicest, sweetest guy. I've met a lot of creators at conventions, but he just had this energy and joy about him. Yeah. Yeah. Now, it just didn't get better than George Perez. And, you know, beyond drawing us in deeper into this hobby that we love, uh, he inspired, you know, generations of other artists. I mean, Phil Jimenez. Ivan Rice, Phil Jimenez. Yeah. 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 I mean, I. He has he has left an indelible mark on this business, and uh, I I'm I'm just, I'm really gonna miss him. I I think the world's a smaller place without him. Well, and I'm looking my at my George Perez Superman sketch uh-huh. you know, that I got at Awesome Con years back. Yeah, I mean just yeah, ni- nice guy, nice guy. Yeah. And, and anyone who's ever met him, like you said, knows he's a nice guy, and he used to just do sketches all day long at conventions. Yeah. So. Yeah, he was a machine back in the day. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, certainly his uh, vision uh, was fading you know, towards the end of his life, mm-hmm. and he wasn't able to draw nearly as fast as he had been before. But, I mean, the guy was a machine. Like Jack Kirby. I mean, Jack yeah. Kirby, you know, cranking stuff out. George Perez cranking stuff out. Just love the guy. Just Agreed. love the guy. Well, and, you know, uh, we had mentioned Future Imperfect, which is kind of one of the most definitive Hulk stories of all, all time. Really? I mean, without, you know, the maestro, I mean, that storyline is what, 30 years old at this point? And the Mm -hmm. maestro still, you know, I I would say most Hulk stories nowadays are informed by, oh, is this when the Hulk will turn into the maestro? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Is this the one that makes him bad? Yeah, is this the one that loves everyone? And we're kind of dealing with that again, um, you know, in the pages of of Donny Cates' Hulk book, uh, where where Bruce Banner has turned the Hulk into a spaceship, a starship, or I don't know, some, some stupid shit. Um, and you know, we, 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 but we've got the, the crossover of Donny Cates books and banner of war, uh, you know, crossing over between Thor and Hulk. And I, I was out on Thor after the last issue and I'm like, I'm out. 
I'm out on Thor. I'm not reading Hulk. But then, you know, they have this sweet, sweet Gary Frank cover art on Banner of War. And I'm like, eh, maybe I'll try. Maybe I'll try. <laughs> Sucker. Yeah. No, same thing here, Paul. I was 100% done with Thor. But this looked interesting. And Aaron sent us a message about how much he liked that Banner of War Alpha. Now, the only thing that, you know, I will, let me, long story short, I really enjoyed this book. My main issue with this book is in the bloviating at the beginning of it, where it's like, we've never seen a battle like this before. Never, ever, ever. It's the biggest battle of their, you know, of their history. And I'm like, "Ah, I don't know that that's true. (laughs) But (laughs) yeah, I wanted to see more destruction, but they moved them to somewhere safe to fight early on. But yeah, I I don't like this concept for Hulk, but it worked in this fight because I also don't like the concept of Thor right now with Odin and the hammer. And both of those together led to some really cool moments. The moments of Hulk Banner is talking to his internal subconscious and Thor is talking to Odin and they both look at each other like, who are you talking to? My favorite aspect of these first two issues of the Banner of War crossover, so Banner of War issue one and Thor number 25, is that Odin, and I didn't like that Odin was part of the hammer because for me that's like, oh, another death immediately undone. But when Odin uses the hammer to basically possess the Hulk and get into his mind, I'm like, okay, that's actually pretty cool. And that's what drew me in to to the second issue of the crossover, Thor number 25, because I, I liked that moment. More, even more so than than the actual battle, um, you know, between the two characters, I liked the, the 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 clever way in which they brought Odin out of the hammer and into Bruce's mind. Well, and it felt more like the character because the character has felt kind of dumb lately. But this was a Odin using some intelligence and having the conversation inside Banner. Yeah, and it's Odin, not a fight. Odin seems a lot more reasonable in death than he did in life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, but yeah, I agree. I, I I like that that mechanism. Now I've enjoyed. I've been reading the regular Hulk book, and I've enjoyed you know Battleship Hulk. Uh, I I think it's a really interesting concept where uh, essentially Bruce Banner has created the memory palace inside inside the shared brain of of he and the Hulk, and he uses the Hulk to fuel you know as the engine room for whatever you know he wants to do in the hulk's body i I think it's a really interesting concept it's a pretty high concept Mm -hmm. uh but i think it it demonstrates uh how smart bruce banner is and uh what an awful person bruce banner is uh you know i they 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 have really made the case. I feel like Donnie Cates has really made the case that Bruce Banner is not a guy you want to know, uh, despite the the Hulk uh, persona. Yeah, which is a, a big contrast to you know the kind of character that we were we were telling stories about you know back in the 70s and 80s with Bruce Banner, where Bruce Banner is a really good guy. He was a really heroic guy and just trapped in this body. Uh, but that that is not the character that we're we're telling stories about currently about Bruce Banner, and I, and I find that that uh, differentiation there really interesting, and that Bruce Banner is fighting uh, is conflicted with himself about something that happened in El Paso that we get some additional information about in uh, the Thor book, 
I, I really enjoyed this book. I mean, I, I, I love the continuity in, in artistry. The Martin Cocolo artwork is continuous from Alpha to Thor 25. And I think that's important in the way this story is told to have that continuity between writer and artist going through it. Because so many times we see that jump in the way the uh, story is told visually. I thought it worked really well. I have one highlight and one complaint out of these two issues that we haven't already hit on. Mm -hmm. I'll start with the complaint was the beginning of uh, Banner of War where the watcher is gathering everyone and talking about how this is the big fight. He makes a comment about, he doesn't even know what happened in El Paso, Texas. Yeah. I don't, I don't like that. The watcher knows everything. Sees everything. Yeah. That, that doesn't sound right at all. Well, that could have been when he was sitting in the chair in the reckoning, you know, and, and being forced to rewatch the, uh, the history that would have been right. Yeah. And if they would have made a nod to it, I would I agree. Any Completely issue. agree. The highlight we haven't touched on was how Hulk dealt with having the hammer set on his back. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That was the most brutal and oh, yeah. it was visceral horrible. thing we've seen in a <laughs> long time. He just stands up and lets the hammer rip a hole in his stomach. Yeah, that was pretty I awesome. Also, and the art's really good. You know, it's it's because um, yeah, there, there is a Olivia lot of violence. Yeah. Well, mixed with um the the guy who did Invincible, because you know, I I thought that too with some of the gore. Yeah, Ryan Otley. Well, and I love the uh the you know big cliffhanger page at the back of the book with Iron Man's celestial uh, technology based yeah. armor. That's pretty badass. Gonna need that action figure, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. I can <laughs> say after that, I closed the book. I did not read the backup. I read the beginning of it and I just didn't care because I, I'm not sticking on Thor after this. I'm going to read the crossover and then I'm out again. I read the Enchantress backup, which I thought was really good. Uh, you know, I'm a sucker for Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends. Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm always going to pick up what they're laying down. But the second backup uh, what looked awful to me just visually. I, I did not read it, but I did not care for the caricaturish artwork. Uh, for Loki and Thor, and I sat that one out. And also, I saw that uh, what's her name, Angelina? Is that her name? The Angelina. Oh no, um, Angela. 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 Yeah, Angela is in it. And I, I'm not a fan, so I sat that a, one out. You're not a fan of Heaven's Assassin? I am not. Yeah. No. One of the so the last observation I'll make on the book is, you know, we've seen this a while for a while now, especially in the Jason Aaron's Avengers book, but mm-hmm. the MCUing of the characters in the marvel comics i found very prevalent in these issues mm-hmm. um in the voices especially when we you know see tony stark his characterization is you know very robert downey jr ish you know spider-man despite being one of the smartest guys in the room you know kind of acts right. like tom holland right you know it, it, so I, we i definitely am seeing more and more of this cohesion despite the fact that those characters are not necessarily in the mcu anymore um, but I, you know, I've noticed it over time, but in this, in this series specifically, and certain writers lean into that more. Um, and it looks like Donnie Cates is as well. Yeah. But yeah, I, I'm really enjoying it. I think this is a, a really strong, uh, in book sort of crossover. Uh, I'm digging it a lot. Yeah. Well, next week I will actually be in Anaheim, California for star Wars celebration. Um, from invited guest to Star Wars, <laughs> invited media to Star Wars. Yes, I, I wouldn't say guest, I, media. Yeah. 
Yeah. You did have to pay for your I mean, tickets. I will sign autographs for free <laughs> if you want them. Selfies, 40 bucks. Um, but yeah, so I'll be there. Um, and while I'm there, they're going to obviously launch the Obi-Wan uh, TV show coming to Disney Plus next weekend. So I'm I'm super psyched about that. And uh, so if you want to follow along with me, you know, definitely make sure you're following us on social media, IOM Geek on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And uh, keep an eye on our uh, YouTube channel, youtube.com slash IOM Geek. Am I to understand that you will not be here for funny books on Saturday? You are to understand that. Huh. Wait, what? <laughs> so this is uh, three weeks out of four. You missed work is what, is what you're I, I'm actually I'm on a work trip, Aaron. We're, uh, we're going to have to get HR involved. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know about this, Paul. I don't know yeah. about this. But hey, Paul, what's coming out next? Well, while I'm out of the office... <laughs> uh, for Marvel Comics, we will have the second issue of Amazing Spider-Man, that new reboot or relaunch, uh, the third issue of Banner of War in Hulk number seven, the third issue of Punisher, the, the current Jason Aaron uh, Punisher series from DC Comics. We'll have new issues of Action Comics um, and a, a DC versus Vampires tie-in called uh, DC versus Vampires Hunter. If you read any DC books, they advertised it. It's oh, about the Damian, Damian Wayne, Wayne? Yeah, Vampire Hunter book. Yep. hot. That yeah. looks super hot. Yeah. Um, we also get the continuation of Shadow War in the pages of Robin and Deathstroke Incorporated. And um, it also advertised in this week's DC books from uh, Star Wars Rogue One writer Gary Whitta and Derek Robertson, the artist on The Boys. Um, there's a new Batman miniseries called Batman Fortress. Very exciting. Well, we want to know what you thought about this week's books, what you think about next week's books, what you think about Paul and his absenteeism. Give <laughs> us a call, 972-763-5903. That number, once again, 972-763-5903. If we use your voicemail on the show, you could win a coveted, valuable Ideology of Madness surprise. Maybe it's even a pot brownie. You don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Oh uh, and as, as I mentioned, our Instagram, uh, Facebook, and Twitter feeds are IOM Geek. Very good. Well, guys, Walter's jonesing for another uh, for another <laughs> apple. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I got to get out there and take care of that. I don't know if you can hear him, you know, pawing at the door. Open the door, man. man Open the door. You got any more of that CBD? <laughs> <laughs> Talk to y'all later. Bye. Bye. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.